Welcome back to another episode of the Legendary Life Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Rice. This is the show that's all about taking your health, body, and life to that next level. And today, it's going to be about your health. I've got Dr. Spencer Nadolsky on the show to answer some listener questions about some blood work and some questions about health that they had. Before I get to that, I want to ask you, have you checked out our legendary workout program. What I really should have called it was ground zero to superhero because if you're not currently doing dips with your body weight, if you're not currently doing pull-ups, this is the program to get you there. If you follow me on Facebook, you've seen the posts where people are telling me, oh, I went from two pull-ups to 10 pull-ups in a couple of months. Uh, I've got a coaching client part of the coaching group, Martina, who's done her first pull-up. I've got people who are doing pull-ups and never thought they'd be able to do pull-ups. And this is the program that they're on. So if you're interested in that particular type of thing, then go to legendarylightpodcast.com, go to the store and look for the legendary workout program. You've already probably heard the people who've been on it, who've given the testimonials, and actually you can read them there. We had Cynthia who followed the 21-day Beachbody Fix, who didn't, who she followed it for six months and didn't get the great results she was hoping to get. Then she followed my program for a month and started seeing a, a big difference. So shout out to you, Cynthia. Thank you so much for that testimonial and sharing your experience. So again, go to legendarylifepodcast.com look for the store, click on that and find the legendary workout program if you're interested in getting those results. So on to today's guest. His name is Dr. Spencer Nadolsky. I asked Spencer to come on because I've received some questions that I didn't feel comfortable answering and I don't want to just shoot it out there, give you an answer when I don't feel like I'm the person qualified to answer it. So some people ask me about their cholesterol levels. I know a lot of people follow Mark Sisson's work or Dave Asprey's work and you're drinking bulletproof coffee or eating a high fat diet. There's nothing wrong with those things, but today I have Dr. Spencer on to help you understand the principles and un help you understand your blood work as well, what the risk factors really are when it comes to heart disease, when it comes to diabetes or pre-diabetes, when it comes to systemic inflammation, which is the cause of so many diseases. Dr. Spencer from drspencer.com is the guy who I asked to come on this show to help us understand these things better so we can improve our health. Enough talk. Let's get to the interview with Dr. Spencer Nadolsky. Welcome back to the Legendary Life Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Rice, and we're back with Spencer Nadolsky. Spencer, you were on the show many years ago, and it's going to be great to have you back on to catch up, to talk about what you've been up to, as well as to answer some questions that people have asked me recently about high fat diets, about cholesterol, triglycerides. And I really wanted to bring on someone who I thought was more qualified to talk about that stuff, especially since you are a doctor, since you do see patients. Good to have you back on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I think I was I was probably in training with residency when you had me on. If I had to, if I had to guess, because I think it was like three years ago or so. But yeah, yeah. thanks for having me. 
Yeah, absolutely. And for those people who didn't hear that interview, can you briefly talk about what it is that you do as a doctor and your your approach to medicine, just so everybody understands that you're not just your average doctor when it comes to health and fitness and lifestyle? Yeah, briefly, I grew up in a very athletic-minded family. My dad was also a biology teacher and the wrestling coach. My older brother, very good at wrestling and football. I followed in his footsteps. I used diet and exercise, really good good at sports, got a scholarship, ended up wrestling heavyweight at UNC Chapel Hill, the Tar Heels, did well. And then when I went to medical school, I really wanted to use just a fraction of that information that got me good at sports to basically help prevent and even reverse or cure chronic disease. So I specialize in family medicine and then obesity medicine. And basically, I use a lot of lifestyle as medicine, exercise, nutrition, to treat my patients. Of course, when pharmaceuticals are needed, I, I use them. But I also am trying to get my board uh, certification in lipidology. So that's like the study of cholesterol and lipids and things like that. But yeah, that's pretty much the gist of it. Yeah. So well qualified to yeah. talk about cholesterol. And in fact, I just brought up a book that I have here that I haven't actually got around to reading. But you've already told me that some of the information or most of the information is has been discredited. And uh, maybe we should start this whole talk about fats, about diet, lifestyle, nutrition, with some of the questions that I was asked recently. You up for that? Yeah, let's do it. And then we can talk more about why your answers are the way, why you answer the things that you're going to say. So recently someone reached out to me. They said, I'm a follower of Mark Sisson and Dave Asprey regarding diet and exercise. I'm 49 years old in pretty darn good shape, but I have a high total cholesterol number since I've become more of a healthy fat eater. Most recent was 260. Should I be concerned? My HDL was 70. My cholesterol HDL ratio is 3.8. They didn't list my triglyceride number. So what do you have to say, Spencer? Yeah, that's a good question. So when we look at some of these numbers in isolation, it's it's easy to you know make blanket recommendations. I'll give a few different levels of, of how I do this if he had some other health issues. If he was perfectly healthy, absolutely no other issues, no uh, inflammation like insulin resistance, no blood pressure issues, things like that, history of obviously of heart disease. That number is on the higher side, but not a level where I'd go, oh my God, you need to take a statin or, or one of these other cholesterol medicines. It would be type uh, pretty high if you did have some other conditions like type 2 diabetes or some other risk factors. Age plays a role, smoking and blood pressure and stuff like that. So we kind of take the whole patient, you do all these calculations to see your risk. But at a, at a very healthy level, it's or a healthy state of life. It's probably not too concerning, but definitely something to ask your doctor about looking at your whole health. A lot of times these high fat diets, a lot of them focus on a lot of butter and coconut oil. And some of those in certain individuals can raise your cholesterol a bit. And a lot of the low carb type people will say that it's it's harmless, not a big deal. But I would argue that it takes a long time to build atherosclerosis. So a lot of these studies, you know, they don't show that. So I would personally change the diet just a little bit to hopefully lower those levels. But your HDL is very good. It sounds like your total cholesterol, uh, a little bit high, 
But, you know, if you really wanted to check, you could get what's called a, a high sensitivity C-reactive protein, which can kind of show if you have some inflammation going on. That can what we call risk stratify you a little bit more to basically say, hey, this level's high. You're at, actually at a higher risk of having heart disease or things like that. Or if it's low, you could say maybe you're not as much of a risk. There's another thing called a calcium heart scan, coronary artery calcium score that you can get that can also risk stratify you as well. So it's like I said, it's hard to do say in isolation. It is on the higher level, but if you're perfectly healthy and other and everything else in your life, you know, I wouldn't be jumping to a medicine right away. Yeah. And that's such a great point. So we tend to think of like, oh, this one thing was, you know, highlighted, my cholesterol was high, but you're saying you got to look at it in the big picture of things. And I'm assuming he did go to his doctor and you know how some doctors are these days. I mean, you happen to be a very good one, very focused on the whole the holistic process, if I may use that word with you. Yeah. So what should we look for when we're we're talking about metabolic health? We want good blood sugar regulation. We want a good C-reactive protein score, which is an indicator of inflammation. We want adequate levels of cholesterol, but not too high. What would you say would be optimal health for yourself or, or for a client? Like, how do you make that happen? What do you look for? Yeah, I mean, there's some general principles of, we have these risk factors that we look at, and there's probably in the future, we're going to have all these, all sorts of little biomarkers. The difference is what we can do to actually change them if need be. Some things we can't change, like age, the older you get, you're at a higher risk. It, you know, heart disease is a disease of aging. You know, obviously lifestyle factors play a big role too. But so we try to focus on the things that we can change. And those things are like blood sugar. A lot of my patients, they have prediabetes and they don't even know it. Uh, a lot of insulin resistance. Sometimes they have some insulin resistance and it may not even show up on, on normal blood markers, but you can tell by the size of their waist and maybe some disruptions in, in their lipid panel, like a little bit lower of an HDL, a little bit higher of a triglyceride is a kind of a marker of insulin resistance. You can be a little bit more advanced and start testing fasting insulin and see peptide levels and things like that. But in general, healthy blood sugar, a trim waist, non-sedentary, blood pressure is extremely important. And it's something that, you know, people can get a cuff and check their blood pressure at home. If they have a little bit elevated and they want to improve that, that's something easily monitored. Not smoking is huge. Now, you know, a lot of smokers are pretty shamed, you know, at this point, not many, not as many people are doing it. And if you're listening to this podcast, I assume you're probably not smoking, but I could be wrong. That's a huge one that's people uh, don't discuss as much anymore because it's kind of very kind of out old. of fashion in the U.S., yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, metabolic health, I mean, if you're active, you're eating what I would call you know, a healthier diet, high in plants, leaner proteins, healthier types of fats, and you're not, and if you're within reason of your energy balance of how much you're taking in, most of my patients that take care of themselves don't have any metabolic issues if they're doing these things. The problem is most people don't do these things, at least all of them together as, as well as they should. Yeah, no, well said too many people are doing everything. And, and I like what you said there, you got to pay attention to your waist circumference. So even if you're quote unquote eating healthy, if you're exercising regularly, but your waist is still large and maybe some numbers are off, you might want to check what you're actually doing is not really working that well. 
I want to ask you a question. We'll, we'll get into that a bit deeper, but I want to ask you a question. So I had a, a client who had high cholesterol and he had a scan. I forget what the name of it is, but they actually, they went beyond just the calcium score and they went in, what is it called? Angio something oh, or another? Yeah. Angiogram. An mm-hmm. angiogram. So they looked into his, looked into his arteries to see if there was any clogging and there wasn't. Like, how does that happen? You say it takes so long for the plaque to build up, but what should we be aware of? Like, is cholesterol just like some marker that maybe isn't that important? It's just a a measure of just the circulating cholesterol in our body, the, the HDL that comes back to the liver and the LDL that comes away from the liver into circulation. I mean, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, this is actually something that, you know, I think everybody should kind of understand because all we hear is cholesterol bad. Whoa. So the cholesterol in our in our blood is actually carried by these things called lipoproteins. Cholesterol is a waxy substance that can't be carried in our blood without a, a carrier protein. So there's certain types of these proteins that, that circulate in our blood, specifically that these ApoB, apolipoprotein B containing particles. Those are the ones that actually get stuck in our artery lining and actually start the cascade of atherosclerosis. The ApoA, the stuff that's HDL, doesn't get stuck in our arteries. So the way atherosclerosis starts is that these little ApoB-containing particles, what we mostly know is LDL. Now, when we measure a normal cholesterol panel, we're measuring the cholesterol, not these actual particles. So you can have some discrepancies there if you don't actually measure the particles We're measuring the surrogate marker of cholesterol, which correlates mostly to the particles. So you can have some some disruptions there. If you wanted to, you can be a little bit more advanced and actually check the particle number or ApoB amount. But in general, they match up pretty well. So anyway, these these little particles start the the cascade of atherosclerosis by first getting into our artery linings. And then there's an inflammation that goes on and then blah, 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 blah. It starts building plaque. Now, the thing is... It's myopic, 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 I don't know, whatever, to only look at that level. So people with very low levels of, of ApoB-containing particles or ApoB, LDL particles, they hardly ever get heart disease, no matter what they do. But for every normal day person, we all have these kind of normal levels of ApoB particles. And then it depends on the rest of your health, what we talked about. So things that disrupt the uh, the lining of your arteries, things like insulin resistance and inflammation, the stuff that comes from that belly fat, that visceral fat that surrounds our belly and makes our waist a little bit bigger, that inflammation disrupts our lining of our arteries such that it's easier for those little particles to get penetrated in and start that atherosclerosis process. So that's kind of what I talk about, like, you know, that people want to focus on the LDL and it's like, yeah, it's, it's important. It's one part of the process, but we also have to look at the metabolic health Two, we can lower people's numbers of, with statins and, and different medicines. But if you don't look at the other things, even the small amounts of particles that you have left after you're taking medicines, they can still penetrate and cause uh, heart disease if you're not taking care of your vascular health and metabolic health, too. So that's kind of the gist of it. And what about particle size? I know that was a big issue, and, and I'm sure that's what the great cholesterol myth, I, I'm pretty sure by Johnny Bowden, which he said was a lot of research came out more recently discrediting what's in that book. Is that still something that we should pay attention to? 
Yeah, that used to be the thing. We So they talk about these big, fluffy LDL particles being harmless versus the small LDL particles, the ones being able to penetrate your wall. Unfortunately, when they start looking at the actual dynamics of, of the LDL particles, regardless of size, they still penetrate. Now, there are something called chylomicrons. Those are the ApoB-containing particles that first flush your system after you eat um, some food containing cholesterol. Those actually don't penetrate. I have actually have a really cool slide that shows the sizes of the LDL particles. If you looked at the slide, I don't have it obviously here, but if you looked at the slide, the, the differences between the small LDL particles and the bigger fluffy ones that people talk about is nothing compared to the difference between that and one of these chylomicrons. And so even the these what they call the chylomicron remnants, the things that are left over after your body digests the, the first chylomicron, those actually do penetrate. And those are huge. Those are huge compared to the, the biggest LDL particles. Even the, the size of the LDL particle, they can still penetrate. And the reason that I think there is you know, some confusion is that those with higher amounts of small LDL particles tend to have higher risk. And the reason that is, is because uh, when you have insulin resistance, due to all these little cascades of how the enzymatic processes and all this stuff goes, your LDL particles are smaller. So it's almost a surrogate surrogate level for insulin resistance, which again causes your artery linings to be uh, more readily penetrated by the LDL. So regardless, big or small LDL particles, they all get stuck in your lining. But if you have smaller LDL particles, that may be a sign of of more vascular health issues. That's why. So when you actually control for the particle number, the size doesn't matter as much, so much. So the number is more important. So it's not necessary to do a test or you wouldn't feel it necessary to do a test on one of your patients for particle size. So in these tests, a lot of times they do it automatically anyway. Oh, okay. So if you're testing for particle number, they're going to check the sizes. And, you know, it, it can give a good indicator of insulin resistance anyway, which is, I think is important. I think it's all good to know. Um, and it's useful information to, to help motivate somebody to make changes. I mean, like if somebody's not going to make any changes in their lifestyle, it's like, all right, here's this number. Good luck with it. You know what I mean? Like, sure. so, yeah, like I said, you, we're, we're going to have all these different biomarkers in the future and they're already coming out with all sorts of stuff. But in the end, it's like, well, what are you going to do about it? Well, the lifestyle stuff we know about, Maybe there are going to be some targeted supplements or, or foods that we should do, you know, kind of this precision medicine type of stuff. But otherwise, you just it has to be actionable. I hear you. And it's such a good point. I feel like some people really do need something on paper to say, hey, listen, it says right here you're screwed up. So you better take some action if you don't want to. You know, they call heart disease a silent killer because so many people find out when they have a heart attack if yeah. they're not getting checked regularly. And it's something that I'm personally concerned about a lot. I mean, even though I don't have, you know, a heart disease in my family. Well, my dad has very high blood pressure that needs to be medicated. Mine mm. can get high. And uh, I'd love to get into the blood pressure thing a bit more because I know um, there's no controversy about blood being pumped through your your arteries, we know that can damage a tube, basically. Right. Too much yeah. pressure, in other words, it just wears the tubes out. You mentioned insulin resistance and, and pre-diabetes. Diabetes can damage the lining of the arteries. Can you talk about that? Is it ages? Is it the, what is it, glycation in product? Or what are those? Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah. So, I mean, basically any type of inflammation, this is where you start looking at the, all these different little biomarkers, the IL-6, you know, and, and C-reactive protein, all these different little things. When you have that visceral fat or liver fat, you also have this high amounts of free floating fatty acids and all this inflammation, basically opening up your artery lining to allow for easier penetration and for oxidation of, of the, those ApoB containing lipoproteins. And so, yeah, you know, the sugars can do it. There's a lot of controversy whether just lowering someone's sugar can actually reduce risk of heart attacks. There have been some studies that suggest so, some say not. That's an ongoing thing between the endocrinologists and the, and the cardiologists. But in general, if you fix the underlying issue, not just the blood sugar, the underlying issue is the inflammation and metabolic health. Then you can improve what they call the endothelial function from the inside as opposed to just what's floating on the outside. That's pretty much the gist. I mean, you, we have all these medicines. We have insulin. We have these things called sulfonylureas. They lower blood sugar, and that's fine. You'll reduce the incidences of kidney nephropathy, diabetic nephropathy, and, and retinopathy in your eyes and things like that and neuropathy because of the, the damage in your little nerves. But I think we have to focus on the underlying issue, which is the insulin resistance, and not as much focus on just that marker of sugar. I mean, of course, we want to get the sugar down too, but focus on the, the underlying issue. Yeah, and, and let's talk a little bit more about that. Before we get to that, I would love to ask you about the blood pressure thing. Robert Sapolsky mm -hmm. In his book, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers, and, and if you're, I know you know who that is, but if, in case you're listening, mm -hmm. he's a neuroendocrinologist, has done a ton of work on stress, and just a brilliant guy. He said, he was talking about how stress, high blood pressure, mm -hmm. uh, which could be caused by stress, can cause damage to the arteries. Can you talk a little bit about the dangers of high blood pressure and what, what it does to the arteries? Yeah, I mean, it's basically a force on, you know, if you have an increased force on the arteries, the arteries have to, uh, you know, there's, I can't remember which law it is. There's so many different physics laws, <laughs> but basically the force on the arteries, they basically remodel and so does your heart to, to be able to handle the, the force and that pressure. So they get hardened, the force increases the penetration of those ApoB lipoproteins so it, and obviously also risk for other things like you know stiffening of your heart too so it's it's a very simplistic model i mean they, you can get into the physics and all that stuff but it's basically the increased pressure makes your uh, vessels try to remodel and hardens them so they can handle the pressure and also your heart so not good that's not the type of adaptation and remodeling that we definitely want going on in no. our cardiovascular system no yeah. no yeah, so the, all these things, and I want to get to some real practical takeaways. I know you and I, we have some limited time. You have a, a patient call in a bit, and I want to get to some practical stuff. But I do want to ask this one question that a listener asked me, and uh, he asked me through Instagram. He told me he loved the podcast, but he was wondering... Why does the healthcare system demonize cholesterol? And what roles come into play for optimal health? We talked a lot about that. And he says, by the way, thank you and keep up the good work. So I appreciate that, Skillet Man. And I've got someone on to answer this question. So we'll get into optimal health. But 
Why does the healthcare system demonize cholesterol? Why do you think we hear so much about it instead of your perspective where you're saying, well, hey, let's look at this in context with all these other biomarkers, with also the patient's lifestyle and and things like waist circumference? So I'll try to defend other doctors by basically saying it's a system failure, I think. I mean, as family doctors specifically, we have the broadest scope of medicine you could ever think of. We have to know pretty much a little bit about everything. One of my mentors, Dr. Serrano, I don't know if you know who he is. But yeah, Eric Serrano. Sure. Yeah, so he's, he, I, was, I rotated with him in medical school, one of my, my first years. Great. Instead of like a specialist where you know everything about something, that's pretty much it. He said, know something about everything and everything about something. So I try to I try to specialize in a couple things, but still have a very broad, broad scope of, of learning. So for, but the systems fails. I mean, if you have to see 20, 30 people in a, in a day and the, your corporation's pushing you to see more and more patients to meet overheads so that the administrators and CEOs who don't know anything about medicine can drive their Jaguars around. Like you, you get, you get forced to read just very brief guidelines and then and then the guidelines in your mind, probably you're not even following those, even though these things are very brief. So you're not even following what we call evidence-based medicine because the guidelines are there and they're very, very good at discussing. You got to look at the totality of everything, but people don't even see it. All they see is a number. They have five minutes with a patient. They don't get to talk about lifestyle. You know, we could go into how doctors, whether doctors know enough about diet and exercise and lifestyle. That's probably for another time, but we don't learn that much about that. Just I'm kind of self-taught. And so you leave with the prescriptions because your cholesterol was, was a little bit elevated. And again, I think more doctors should go back you know, to their medical school training and understand, hey, it's not necessarily just the cholesterol. There's also a difference between the cholesterol we eat and the cholesterol circulating in our blood and what's carrying the cholesterol, as I talked about before. So it's, it's this thing where we don't have much time with the patients you know, we're trying to hustle through and, and see more people because the administrators are pushing us instead of sitting back and talking about it for like 30 to 45 minutes. Hey, this is kind of how it works. This is your risk if you do versus if you don't, you know, insurances. And actually, we have the, the government passes down these different things like, hey, if you're not getting someone's cholesterol down, you're going to start getting dinged here on and insurances and, and things like that. I mean, there's all this, this stuff. I mean, it's passed down. So it's an issue. They, they look at it as a population standpoint. You know, if, if we can get everybody's cholesterol down, you're going to save this many people. But if you look at it individuals, not everybody needs to get it down or have to worry so much about it. So it's a system failure, I would say. I'll protect my fellow doctors. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a great point. I mean, I guess well, as soon as I asked that question, I already thought like, oh, well, a lot of people are going to say, you know, it's the pharmaceutical companies, the pressure to sell statins to make a lot of money. That has to be a little bit of it. Yeah, that's definitely true. (laughs) But at the same time, like doctors aren't incentivized like that, at least not like they used to, right? The drug rep thing and the doctors and the the vacations and all that. That doesn't exist anymore, right? Not anymore. I miss the boat. I miss the cruises. (laughs) I I mean, it's it's good, I guess, but it's too bad. I mean, like they, I, I have these older doctor friends who are like, yeah, I used to get tickets to football games, baseball games, basketball games, cruises, all sorts of, I'm just like, what did I miss out on? Like, every, and then everybody accuses me of being in the pocket of big pharma. And I'm like, I didn't get any money. They gave me this free lunch to talk about a crappy drug. I'm never going to even talk about. So I don't even do drug rep dinners or lunches anymore. 
once in a while drug rep dinner if privately invited. And I may be invited to actually speak for some companies if I like the medicine. But yeah, it's it's the laws are pretty strong now. And in fact, you can go look at how much money each doctor has gotten from from the pharmaceutical companies. It looks like I've a couple of years ago, it looked like I had a few thousand dollars, but that's because the, they brought lunch every day and you have to sign your name. I didn't get any money. I just got some crappy like fried chicken that I didn't even eat. So, I mean, that plays a role too. the big pharma. They are definitely going to want doctors to push their medicine. And it's like, well, hold on a second. Does everybody really need to be on all these medicines? Let's let's take a step back here for a second. It's big money. Big money is, is going to run the the healthcare system. Hopefully that will change in the future. Yeah. You know, it's something to be aware of. I'm not a very conspiracy minded person, but when you do have MBAs, like you mentioned, running the hospital, these guys with MBAs, they don't know anything about medicine. They're looking at numbers and trying to grow the business. Yep. So it's just kind of a natural extension from that perspective, of course. And, and yep. at the end of the day, you have to make money at the same time. It's not a bad thing. We don't want our doctors struggling to live well after all the, the school and all the commitment that they made because they're going to do a crappy job if they don't feel well taken care of. So let's not go down that rabbit hole too deep, but maybe for a different podcast or something. But uh, it's important to consider. And I think it's important to find a doctor who's really good. Spencer, I think you'd appreciate the guy who I see. He's, he's an older doctor. He sits down and talks with me for so long. And just, oh, good. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Again, I think he has his limitations because he's, you know, from that old school, he's like in his 80s, I think. He takes the time and he knows a lot and he cares and spends the time. It's just, I think everybody should try to find a doctor like him or like you who are like these up and coming guys, right? The new breed of physicians who are incorporating a lot of lifestyle medicine because you're the future, man. It's so important. So let's- Yeah, I, I actually started a, an online physician program. I don't know if I told you, but basically no. a way so that you that people can access I call them docs who lift <laughs> docs, basically docs who understand fitness and lifestyle. So that's what I'm, I've just started up. I'm, I'm going to be recruiting doctors and you can do telemedicine and even get prescriptions and labs and talk with the doctor through an app and Skype as much as you want. So I can give you the show or put that in the show notes or something like that. It's yeah. Well, it's through, what's, through what's this the company website? Called, yeah. It's steady MD, steady Yeah. It's pretty cool. Very cool, man. Yeah. And I think that's great. A lot of my clients who are these uh, wealthy entrepreneurs down here in Miami Beach, they all have concierge doctors. They don't make an appointment and go like in, in a week. They, they pay right for Yeah, they pay for the access. And I think that's great because people get paid. Well, the doctors get paid well and and you know, it, everybody gets what they want. The the clients get the good the patients get the good service, fast service. So I think that's awesome. So steadymd.com. If you happen to be a doctor, I know there's a couple listening, at least there used to be. So yeah, steadymd.com if you want to check that out. Spencer, let's take a little bit of a different direction. And let's say we have a guy who's in his 40s. His blood pressure is slightly elevated. And obviously, I'm going to give you a real general case here with and respecting that, just ask for some general recommendations in return. So it's got slightly elevated blood pressure, slightly elevated triglycerides and LDL. He has prediabetes. His 
hemoglobin A1C is on the edge. He exercises, but not super consistently or that much. Doesn't move a lot when he's not exercising. He eats well. He mostly eats clean, whatever that means. And I'll let you interpret that. How do you take a person who feels like he's doing a lot of the right things, but then he's got all these issues. How do you take that person? How do you get them to understand what's going on? And then what would you prescribe them to do? What exercise, how would they eat and what supplements or, you know, let's stay away from medications, but supplements would they take based on that profile? I have a lot of patients that literally fit that exact profile. They feel like, I don't, I feel like I eat pretty well. In general, when you start really doing a dietary recall and you start going through it, their portions are big. They eat out a few times a week that they, they're not thinking about. So I really have them hone down on what their healthy diet template looks like. And it takes a little bit, but, but basically showing them, hey, you're in a pretty high energy balance and you're not going to lose that belly fat unless we make a few modifications. Sometimes it comes down to meal replacements. Maybe they're having a big lunch because they, you know, they they don't pack their own lunch or they go out to eat every day, but they think they're choosing something a little bit healthier, which they're not. I mean, you know, when you look at it, really, they think it's healthy, but it's, it's not. You know, sometimes it's modifying how their dinners are, talking about, hey, instead of going back for that second huge portion of, of mashed potatoes, how about you cut the mashed potatoes in half that you're having, double the amount of vegetables that you're doing making sure that their protein is is adequate. You know, looking at our, you know, some of them drinking maybe three or four beers per night. Maybe you should cut that back to one or two. You know, how many times are you going out per week? Cut it in half. I start trying to modify it and, and meet them where they're at and just modifying their template there. That's a big thing. People think they're eating well, but they're not. I mean, especially because energy balance should be number one. Um, Let, let's much- talk about that a little bit more, Spencer, because I feel like that's a huge issue that keeps coming up for me and my coaching with my coaching clients as well. And for other people that I talk to, I can eat good quality whole foods, but I could still be out of energy balance or I could be following Dave Asprey's diet or someone else's diet, eating a lot of fat and still be out of energy balance. And it's this thing where you just can't get around the math. You still feel like there's a lot of pushback with like, Hey, no, I just, someone just told me to eat, you know, how drink, buttery coffee in the morning and then I should be fine. And and as long as I eat healthy fats, healthy fats don't make me fat. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, I'd say the most pushback is usually on the internet with a lot of the followers of a lot of these diet guru type people. My patients, they generally don't think that way because they're, you know, they're not, they're not scouring the internet for everything. But yeah, so a lot of these diet gurus have convinced people that energy and calories in versus calories out don't matter. And of course, it all matters, food quality and the energy balance. And so you have to kind of re-educate and say, no, it still matters. You can't just drink a big thing of butter and think you're going to be metabolically healthy. That can have deleterious effects, the butter. you can, But you can switch those things for healthy fats and then maybe reduce the amount that you're taking in. Maybe you're just taking in way too much along with the starch with it. You know, it's hard to overeat vegetables by themselves and lean protein, but maybe your your cuts of meat are a little bit fatty. And I'm not going to demonize the fat from from meats and, and everything like that, but it's easy to overeat some of these things still. 
despite eating what, what most people think is clean or quality foods. So it's very common. I see a lot, especially if you're not losing weight. That's the reason why. Yeah. And uh, I want to dive into that a little bit more. I know I asked you about like exercise and, uh, and supplements, but I think this is the thing that trips most people up. Like you just said, if you're not losing weight, this is the reason why. And it's, there's this disconnect between like, okay, well, I'm overweight, but I'm eating ribeye steak, I'm eating, you know, avocados, I'm, you know, pouring olive oil all over my my salad with that's filled with nuts and dried cranberries and but that guy, the professor lost 27 pounds or whatever it was, eating Twinkies and ding-dongs and whatever, like that disconnect between, okay, here's healthy food. It has, it's micronutrient rich. It has vitamins and minerals and phytonutrients and all that good stuff. But it's this energy balance thing that matters most when it comes to weight or more specifically body fat. Exactly. No, exactly what you're saying. I mean, you know, a lot of these, what they call, if it fits your macros, people they they don't care about the quality of their food as long as they're in energy balance. That's like what we call like a big rock. Yeah. I mean, if you're getting that compared to other people who may be just eating what they call clean and being in an excess energy balance, they're probably healthier. But I'm not going to say that an optimal diet is only calories and macronutrients because, you know, when you start looking back at a lot of these huge epidemiological studies and even some of the big randomized controlled studies, that the diet quality does matter. So for a lot of these people, you know, they just have no idea about their energy balance and they've been duped by some of these gurus that no calories don't matter as long as you're eating good quality, clean Clean food, foods. or even if you're in a very low carbohydrate ketogenic diet that they, they feel it doesn't matter. And it's like, well, it still does. You'll still store that fat. It doesn't matter if your insulin's low. And I, I have a lot of patients like that too, but not to mention it's hard to stick to, but if you can stick to it, fine, whatever. So yeah. Well, how about this? You know, if there's one you know, I'm not as well read on the research and everything, but there's there's one thing you should be overeating. It would be protein, right? Well, I'd say first I would say vegetables, green leafy vegetables. If there's one thing you want to overeat, that second would probably be lean protein. It's hard to store that lean protein as fat. Um, I read that you can't. It like the pathway is. It's unlikely that you'll store it at all unless it's at high levels. Is that? It's the, the, the calories what's the latest still- on that. Yeah, so it goes back and forth. Uh, one of my friends, uh, Dr. Antonio, Jose Antonio, I don't know if he... Yeah, know he is. sure. He did a study in, in younger in younger patients showing that, hey, they didn't gain fat. They gained muscle when they overate tons of protein and they got pretty high. I can't remember the level, but it was I don't know if it was like two grams of protein per pound of body weight or something like that. It was pretty high level. So, I mean, they still count as calories. You'd still gain weight. It may be more muscle, of course. But when you combine it with, you know, if it's just protein that you're eating, it's going to be extremely hard to be overeating it anyway. But, you know, we don't eat just protein. We start eating other things in conjunction with it, fat and, and, and carbohydrates. So it may make those things a little bit easier to store as fat. But but if you're eat more so eating over, overeating on the protein, not as likely to store as fat compared to the other two. And what about fat? being more likely to be stored as fat because the the pathway from ingestion to storage is much more straightforward. That is definitely true. It's part of physiology. 
I know the you know the low carb crew will say, well, if you're if you're a very low carbohydrate diet, you're going to be switching your fat or your your source of fuel to fats, burning fat. But it all ends up evening out. Yeah, you'll start burning more fat as fuel, but it is still easier to store fat as adipose tissue than it is carbohydrates. They call it, talk about de novo lipogenesis, converting the carbohydrates to fatty acids and then storing as adipose tissue. So it, it, it is. It's just easier for your body to, to, to store the fat that you ingest. But, you know, as long as you're in energy balance, it doesn't even matter. That's the big thing, right? That's the big like elephant in the room that seems to be eluding a lot of people who are trying to lose weight or trying to really, some people are trying to lose weight. What most people are trying to do is look better when they look at themselves in the mirror. And that really has to do with maintaining that lean mass, whether the, the number on the scale goes up or down, but that fat starting to disappear, right? Yeah. And one more question, because I know we got basically five more minutes and then we'll wrap things up. But I've also heard but didn't hear the whole story on eating fat and carbohydrates at the same time. You know, the I guess the idea being the carbohydrates spike your insulin so that that fat might be more likely to be stored. And of course, taking into consideration the energy balance idea that we've been talking about. Is that true? There's a small bit of truth to it. But like you said, in, in the end, it's it's all about the energy balance. It, it it was a good story to think about, hey, if we're not eating any carbs, and we're not spiking our insulin, you can't store fat. But unfortunately, with the fat itself, you still store it. Now, you know, if you are eating high amounts of fat and carbohydrates in the same meal, it's more likely probably that you're going to store more fat. And there's other some metabolic disturbances that can happen when you do a high fat and carbohydrate meal too, as opposed to one versus the other with a moderate amount of protein. So yeah, there is some truth to that. Interesting. So stay away from those ribeye baked potato with uh, yeah, half a stick of butter. Yeah, it's, it's the mash. Yeah, like a chicken carbonara pasta thing. Those are highly metabolically disturbing. <laughs> Highly metabolically disturbing. Yeah, that's what a lot of meals for your average American looks like, unfortunately. Well, well, hey, I know you got to go. It's been a pleasure having you on. Maybe we can have you on. I I wanted to get into types of training and supplements and whether type of training like glycogen depleting training, anaerobic glycolytic training, you know, that type of thing. Because a lot of people listening don't know, but you're also, you've done some, I don't know if you consider yourself a bodybuilder, but you've done some physique shows and, or bodybuilding shows, uh, right. natural bodybuilding shows. And uh, maybe we can get into like more of a talk about that side of uh, what you're up to. Yeah, totally. We should do that. Cool. Well, Spencer, thanks so much, man. Where should people go? Where's your main website? We already mentioned the steadymd.com. DrSpencer.com, D-R-S-P-E-N-C-E-R.com. That's where everything I have. Yeah. Uh, All my stuff, blogs, and you can find me on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff too. Excellent. And I highly recommend you follow him. He just had, by the way, check it out. I have your, uh, I just saw this, your, where you were mentioned in men's health helping yeah. this guy with diabetes and talking about yeah. diabetes or a nice picture of you there. 
and make sure you follow Dr. Spencer. He's one of the guys in the industry who are really staying away from the bullshit. So he doesn't have the fancy marketing that sells you on that one thing that you have to do, then nothing else matters as long as you do that one thing. If you want to get some evidence-based information, start making some changes to your lifestyle and getting some results, he's a guy to follow. So Spencer, it's been a pleasure and looking forward to doing it again soon. Thanks for having me, buddy. Welcome to the Ted's Takeaway part of the interview. This is where I give you what I thought was the the biggest and best lessons for you to take away and implement in your life. So I hope you enjoyed the interview. Make sure you go check out Spencer Nadolsky at drspencer.com. He's got a free course on there. I'm sure you can learn a lot. He also, check out his blog, his articles, really great stuff coming from him. So let's get to the takeaway point. And the number one is don't be your own doctor. And I know this can be very difficult, especially with the quality of care so many people receive, the quality of care not being so great. And our doctors, they're either too busy or too stressed or don't have time to read up on things. As uh, Spencer even talked about, a lot of people, or a lot of doctors, they just don't have the time to do a great job. They're under all this pressure. Not that it means that they should do a bad job, but it just is the way that it is. So I highly recommend that you find a good physician, maybe even Dr. Spencer to work with. So that is the first one. Don't be your own doctor. I'm not. That's why I have experts on all the time. And I still go to the doctor. I still consult with people. I still get help. And I want you to be the same way. Don't be your own doctor. Number two is with all the nutrition approaches, with all the training approaches, are you getting results? Be a results-oriented person. That's the takeaway. And if you're getting good blood chemistry, maybe your cholesterol is a little elevated, like the person who asked the question, but all the other measurements are great. All the other biomarkers are great. Not a big deal. You're getting good results and you have low body fat, right? In other words, that waist circumference, especially for men, isn't too big. That's good, okay? That's good, but be results-oriented. And I don't care who your guru is or how many copies of the diet book sold. Are you getting results with it? Yes or no? It's a straightforward question to ask yourself, and the answer is no. Then you need to try something else, or perhaps you're not even following it correctly, and maybe you need some one-on-one attention, some coaching to help you get there. So be results-oriented. I can't tell you enough that can change your life. Instead of making excuses about your genetics or whatever it is, just say, hey, this isn't working. Let me find another approach or let me get someone to help me. And the third thing is be careful who you get your information from. One of the things that I tried to do with this podcast is not go for the most popular people. The Let me break it down to you like this. The more popular people I get on the show, regardless if their information is good or not, the better this show will succeed. More people will flock to it because I have all these quote unquote stars, right? But that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to get what I felt was the best quality information. And I feel like so many people aren't getting good quality information. They're getting things that are promoted to them that It's more about the marketing involved. It's more about being part of that tribe, part of that group. And I think that's okay 
except when the person is not getting the results or it's not what they're trying isn't working or maybe it's even getting them into trouble like their cholesterol is too elevated it's not helping with their insulin sensitivity those types of things so it's really important it's really important and that's why i am so proud when I hear people say, hey, Ted, you know, one of the reasons why I listen to you is because you're straightforward. I don't feel like you're trying to sell me on anything, even though I am trying to sell you on something. I'm trying to sell you on thinking for yourself. I'm trying to sell you on the idea of seeing past marketing. And I'm also trying to sell you some workouts that I think are awesome because I've written them and I've gotten great results. So I am trying to sell you on something, but I think those things that I'm trying to sell I think they're really good for you, okay? And as you can hear from this show compared to other shows, I stay away from all the scammy products and services. I'm very careful about that because I don't want to go down that road. I want people getting great information out there. So please evaluate the information that you even get on here but also from other places and make sure you're not buying into someone's guruism. Make sure you're buying into the principles behind what they do. doesn't matter how charismatic they are or how much you like them. What matters is does it improve your life? Does it get you results? So I can't tell you how important that is. I want you to be more critical with where you get your information from. I know I am, and that's what I bring here to you because I only speak to people who I want to personally talk to, who I've personally vetted, or who I'm super curious about. And I throw some inspirational people in the mix for you as well. So that I just wanted to do a little recap so you understand where I'm coming from. And I hope you take that away. I hope you apply those ideas into your life and into where you choose to get your information from. So with that said, I'll wrap things up. And again, make sure you go check out Dr. Spencer at drspencer.com and check out what he's going on. And again, if you want that program, the legendary workout that has helped people go from two to 10 pull-ups in a matter of months, make sure you go to legendarylivepodcast.com, click on the store, check out the workout and start getting results. That's all I've got. I hope you have an amazing week and I'll speak to you soon.